Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, hello there. Hope everyone had a tremendous weekend. I did. I watched a lot of football, as I promised. I will watch much more this afternoon and this evening. I also, <clears throat> my son's 10-year-old's uh, 10-year-old fantasy football draft was yesterday. Last year they did it for the first time. The first time any of the kids had been in a fantasy league. And then this year they came back and it was amazing what they learned in a year. I, I remember helping them and... We walked out of the draft a year ago, and I kind of pat him on the shoulder. I'm like, your team's 10 times better than everybody else's. And I was giving free advice to everybody, but more advice to my son, as you can imagine. And uh, yesterday, walked out of the draft and said, wow, these kids learned a lot in a year. You know, these 10-year-olds that are into football, and some of them play football and whatnot, you know, are we're learning. It was a lot of fun. Of course, he had a blast, and all the dads are good dudes, too. But anyways... This is the Locked On NFL Podcast. I'm Matt Williamson. I hope you know that by now. You and I talk five days a week. Um, My plan was, like most Mondays, to just go four games that I watched and really, really break them down and then do the same again tomorrow. I I am going to alter that. Um, I think there's just too much injury news that that has to be, you know, priority number one here is... You know, in the front four, I don't know how I ignore the Romo situation. You know, since we got together, Romo is has a broken bone in his back, Tony Romo. And this is obviously a big deal. However, many out there aren't as concerned, I guess. You know, not as concerned as they would have been a month ago or six weeks ago. Let's just leave it at that. There's a lot of optimism around Dak Prescott, and myself included. You know, we've talked about him maybe more than any other player since the inception of this podcast. For good reason. That's all timing. I think he's been the biggest story of the preseason to date. However, for a rookie quarterback, the difference between three preseason games when the defenses are not scheming against your strengths and weaknesses... And the real-life bullets-flying NFL is massive. It's just massive. And Prescott has exceeded all expectations, has passed every test. He's been highly accurate. He obviously is a very good athlete. He's a tough-minded, smart guy who's adapted very quickly. Again, he's passed. He's checked every box. He throws a really nice, catchable ball. He's not bashful as some rookies are. I mean, if he sees Dez or Witten to a lesser degree one-on-one, he puts the ball up in the air and he lets his guys go up and get it. Uh, that's commendable. I mean, again, it's confidence. It's confidence in your teammates. Um, he's playing from under center. That's new from. That's new for him, and he, and he looks fine doing it. He's good. He has pretty good feet. Obviously, a very good athlete. He can run the ball when he needs to. He can throw on the run. But 
you know, his stats are also a little misleading. There were two interceptions I thought that he got away with. That happens, you know, so what? But, you know, again, no, it's preseason, and he's going to throw picks in the regular season, you know. And Dallas is interesting because they have the league's best offensive line. I think Ezekiel Elliott's still going to win the Rookie of the Year and be a total star and be a pro bowler perennially. Dez looks phenomenal. Witten's not going away, but he's not the difference maker he used to be. But the defense is horrible. So, Romo or not, I think the theory remains the same that we're going to eat clock, we're going to play slow, we're going to run the ball a lot, we're going to bludgeon our opponent, wear them down, keep the, our defense off the field. That's all great, but your defense eventually is going to have to play. I mean, you're not going to possess the ball for 45 minutes a game. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that teams are going to stack the box against Elliott more now with Prescott there. You know, Romo's Romo's a high-end quarterback. I mean, Romo's going to be, he's playing as well as ever. He just hasn't been healthy. Um, he, and he's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. I mean, Prescott's not going to do that. And he's going to see a lot in these first couple of weeks that he hasn't seen. So... If he can overcome those tests, I mean, tremendous. I mean, that would be great. Uh, I'm not saying he won't. That's not at all what my point here is. It's just this is a major blow to the Cowboys season. There's just no way around that. I mean, yes, I'd rather have Prescott than the guys that played when Romo was out last year. And I know Dez was banged up too, but they couldn't beat a soul without Romo. I mean, they were the worst team in the league, basically, when Romo was not in the game. I, you can't tell me they're that much, you know, that much better now than they were then. You know? And I still think that Elliott will get his against stacked boxes, and he'll catch a lot of passes. And I think Dez will put up fine numbers and you know, all those things, those fantasy-related type of situations. And I think Dak overall will play very well for this four- to six-game stretch. But by no means is it, boy, I think we're in good shape. We'll be all right. You know, we can handle this. I, I don't see it that way at all. I mean, losing Tony Romo is just a massive, massive blow to this team. So, practice squad, the next segment of our front four, I urge you, of course, to listen to. Of course, you're going to do that. But you may want to go to the other locked-on podcasts out there to get more in-depth details on these subjects that I'm going to talk about. And these subjects are going to be further injuries besides Romo. And all in all, I think the league collectively got away pretty unscathed. Not unscathed, but not horrible. You know, for three preseason games, you'll think on the fourth game, most pretty much all the stars will not play, therefore they won't get hurt. That I think, all in all, compared to other years, we should enter week one healthier than we've been. And I don't know this for a fact, but just watching all the games, it seems as though the coaches are holding out their stars just a little more than they have in previous years, too. I mean, even a lot of these week three games, sometimes you'd only see the starting quarterback play you know, three series or less than a half. A lot of times they play three quarters, you know, in the in the past, or you know, week two they sat out a lot of their stars. 
So I think that the more than ever, uh, the teams are holding back their players. And maybe whenever we go into the season, we'll have more star power than ever. Um, but some people did get dinged up, as you can imagine, in week three. Two of them to the Ravens of note. And the one I feel bad about it mostly is, is Ben Watson. He tore his Achilles like the second play of the game. I was watching that game. Just because he's an older guy. Really, really smart guy. I think the Ravens brought him in because they had a bunch of young tight ends, a bunch of young receivers, with the, with the exception of Steve Smith, who just my little hunch. I'm not sure if Steve Smith's going to make the team. I mean, he's coming off a massive injury. Haven't seen really anything from him yet. I'm just not sold that he's going to be a factor this year. And I think they locked, looked, looked at Watson for veteran leadership, much like they did with Weddle on the other side of the ball of – hey, you know, we're the Ravens. We had a lot of injuries last year. We're not a rebuilding team. We'll bring in a couple of older pieces to help us get back on the rails. Hopefully we'll be healthier. And Watson won't be part of that. Fortunately for them, they do have a ton of tight ends. You know, Max Williams, Crockett, Gilmore. That these guys should be able to step up. I think Williams will end up being a very solid player, being a very solid starter. But you feel bad for him. You wonder if this is career-threatening considering Watson's age. And then Dixon, the, the mid-round pick rookie running back. I really like this guy. I, I thought he was one of the steals of the draft. He got a concussion and kind of an ugly one where they, they had to drag him off. And he obviously was you know in a different world at the time. You really feel for those guys. Uh, he's supposed to miss a month. I'm not sure how we know that today, though. It's just something I read this morning. Um, I don't know how we would know that for sure with a concussion, you know, a day after it happened. Maybe he's back earlier. Maybe he isn't. But I predicted Dixon, actually, to lead the Ravens in rushing. You know, and that was before all the Terrence West news. But I just think Dixon is a really good fit. And he's not Matt Forte, but as a receiver in a Tressman offense, I think he's going to excel. I don't have a lot of faith in... Um, four set the, that he has a lot left and I never thought he was great to begin with I mean I respect him he's fine but I mean 75 or 80 percent of the seasons he's had in this league he's been a depth player at best so I really had high hopes this year for Dixon hopefully he can get out there sooner than later but again they have a lot of running backs so I think they overcome these two injuries but they were two guys I was kind of excited about this year uh, Carlos Hyde also has a concussion supposedly he should be back soon. You know, again, I don't know how we know these things on concussions. Their running back stable is not terrible either. You know, Mike Davis put the ball on the ground a little bit this preseason, but he looks really good to me. Uh, that being said, I mean, Hyde has to carry this offense in San Francisco for them to really be anything. And I don't expect their offense to be great, of course, but it, it has shown better than I expected. And I think Hyde is in for a big year. Uh, I hope he's there for week one. I guess we don't know that. Hopefully this doesn't linger. They also have Ellington, their slot receiver, with a hamstring injury. This one I haven't gotten more details on, but is more concerning. He's not nearly the player Hyde is, but all the reports have been glowing. I've liked this guy a lot since the beginning. Um, slot receiver, I think he'd be a target monster in San Francisco. Sort of a, you know, Welker Edelman type out of the slot. Quick guy, former basketball player. Uh, I, I thought he would have a really nice role for them this year. I hope the hamstring isn't too bad, but, you know, the early reports really weren't great on that. Ryan Kerrigan, an underrated pass rusher for the Redskins. He has a groin. 
Um, again, good player. Uh, their pass rush is taking a little bit of hit. We'll have to keep an eye on that, too. I apologize. I don't have more news, but people aren't just rushing out by noon on Monday to tell you exactly the status of these guys. You know all of them are not going to play in week four. And everybody's the same goal is to get ready for week one. Hopefully we can update this news as we get closer to opening day. Um, Cameron Hayward here, here in Pittsburgh has an ankle. It's, supposedly it's a high ankle sprain. Um, you know, we were watching that game, and it wasn't like people were around him the whole time. He came back on the sideline to boot, and they say that he should be fine for week one. But high ankle sprains linger, too. That's a hard thing to – they usually aren't you – know, you might. what's the chance of him being 100%? You hope that doesn't linger or get tweaked if he does play week one. A very, very good player, though, and instrumental in the Steelers' success. Uh, Jake Muhort, the the tackle-turned-guard for the Colts, is he's turned into a very quality guard. I, I like Muhort, and he has an ACL injury. Originally, the first day or two, it sounded like this was going to be a bad one, and that really worried me. I thought, man, that's one of the few bright spots they can kind of hang their hat on on their offensive line. Um, but it sounds as of today, again, Monday at noonish, that not out too long is the kind of stuff you're reading. Hopefully that's true. They very much need him. And let's go to Cincinnati and wrap this, this portion up here, the front four. A.J. Green has a knee hobbled off. He's saying it's not too serious. Uh, he just banged knees with somebody else. Hopefully not, because they absolutely, absolutely cannot afford that. I don't think I'm teaching anything there. I mean, I, I, I bet if you put a gun to their head that they'd rather lose anybody than A.J. Green. I mean, including Geno Atkins, including Andy Dalton, Andrew Whitworth. You know, considering the status of their receiving core... They need Green. You know, I know the fantasy experts are talking about him leading the league in targets. I certainly could see that. He's going to see a lot of double coverage, but I'm not sure it matters with him. And this also goes back to the Cincinnati news that Tyler Eifert is now going to be missing four to six weeks. And, boy, I think this really hurts the Bengals' chances. You know, we've talked about the Bengals' receiving core for a while here, that they really need a second guy to step up. With Eifert gone, I think Eifert's a you know a, a budding star. Really, don't think at all what he did last year was a fluke. I think he's a high, high quality player, um, an absolute great number two to Green being the number one. Very different type of players. Obviously, one's a tight end, um, but he's a field stretcher. He's great in the red zone. That I could see a lot of early season struggles for the Bengals if Eifert's out. And well, he is going to be out. He's going to miss the first month at least. It sounds like to me that's a that could be the difference between going to the playoffs and not in the long run. Okay, let's get to some games. And you knew I was going to do it. You know, I spent my pretty much my entire Thursday watching this game and doing the post game for it. So let's talk about the Saints and the Steelers. Steelers' offense looked unbelievable, and not to be a homer, but there was very little to criticize the Steelers about in this game. I mean, like I said, I've done the post-game show for the for all three of the preseason games. All the call-ins and conversation for the first game were up and down, a little more negative. Second game were highly negative. You know, Landry Jones throws four interceptions. This this team's terrible. What's going on? This one, everyone's calling in that 
This is a team of destiny. The Steelers are going to the Super Bowl. They look great. Um, Roethlisberger was fantastic. Antonio Brown was uncoverable. I think they interviewed Ben after, and he didn't say it this way, but basically just kind of hinted like I could throw in the ball to A.B. every time, <laughs> you know, and they could have done nothing about it. And he certainly felt that way. Um, Bell looks very, very good, too. He played longer than I expected. That was odd. But he also isn't going to show up until, what, five weeks from now, a month from now. So I guess they got out of that, and I'm sure he won't play in the fourth game. Um, Cameron Hayward left the game. Gilbert, the right tackle, left the game with an elbow. He's day-to-day. Armstead, the very, very good left tackle for the Saints, left the game. But I guess he's all right. Didn't bring those two t- offensive linemen up in the in the injury report because it, you know, apparently it isn't a big deal. Something to concern yourself a little bit though with the Saints is in. It seems like it's becoming a trend, and this shocks me because I thought they would have one of the better offensive lines in the league. I mean, in that five to eight range, if you're ranking offensive lines, but and it's only the preseason, and they'll probably work some of this out, and Breeze makes some problems goes away, but. Their offensive line has not played well at all in this preseason. You know, uh, Stephon Tuitt was living on the Saints side of the line of scrimmage, and I think he's a star, and he's going to do do that to a lot of people. But I'm concerned about the Saints' offensive line, especially at guard, hampering really the entire offense. Uh, by the way, I'm turning in an article today for today's pigskin. I urge you to check out just talking about Saints' distribution. Uh, amongst their receivers, you know, how they um, compare to a basketball team of all the different types of receiving weapons they use. A guy I didn't mention that was uh, Hamana Nui, the, the gigundus tight end, a big blocking tight end. He was injured in this one too. I have a feeling he'll be out for a while. I did mention C.J. Spiller though, and I think C.J. Spiller was signed to be the new Darren Sproles. And like in this one, he teases you. <laughs> I mean, I've been buying into this guy forever. Never stays healthy. Always leaves you wanting more. He's a huge tease. But and there's always the but at the end of this conversation with him is, if he stays healthy, he could be a huge asset in this offense. That they could use him extremely well. But the O line has really hampered the Saints, and I think that's the thing to take most away from this right now from the Saints side of the ball on offense. And then the Steelers' side of the ball on offense was uh, pretty awe-inspiring. It was, it was a wild performance. Again, against what was by far the worst defense in the league last year. And for those of you that aren't aware of Football Outsiders, I absolutely urge you to go check them out. Um, they have an almanac that they put out every year that is absolute must-reading. I'm probably two-thirds of the way through it right now. But they, you know, they rank things with advanced statistics. And since the inception of Football Outsiders, they've been doing this a long time, the Saints' defense last year was the worst in history. And I think their DVOA stats are much more accurate than, you know, how NFL.com ranks defenses by yards allowed or points allowed, all those things. I mean, it's just an advanced statistic for a reason. And it's amazing because the gap... The Bears were 31 in DVOA last year on defense, and the Saints were 32. And not only were they the worst in the league and the worst in history, but I think, don't exactly quote me, but this is very very similar if not correct, the gap from 31 to like 
14 or 13 or 12 was about the same as the gap from 31 to 32. So, like, not only were the Saints the worst defense in the league last year, but by a gigantic, massive margin. And I have to think they'll be better. I mean, I don't know that they'll even... If they can be not historically bad on that side of the ball, and I don't know where the pass rush is going to come from, and they've taken some hits, too, from injuries. But if they can simplify things, I think the coordinator change will help. That if they could be the 25th best defense in the league this year, I think the Saints could be eight or nine win team, maybe get in the playoffs. I, I, I am worried about the offensive lines I mentioned, but that's more just from what I've seen in preseason as opposed to trusting my evaluations. Uh, I think the offense will remain very, very good. I have to call an, I have to call an audible. Call an audible here. An audible here. Talk about another game. I was going to talk about the Panthers in New England, and I have a ton of notes in front of me about that. But sometimes when we're on the air, news happens, and it has broken out of Denver that Trevor Simeon is going to be the starter in, in, for the Broncos, which. It's surprising, and it's not. I, I would think several of you out there are still going, who the heck is Trevor Simeon? And why? What do you mean he's a starter in Denver? They won the Super Bowl last year, and now Trevor Simeon is starting for this team? And I would have been pretty much in that boat, too, a couple months ago. And whenever he was starting to make news, I was pretty much saying, and I stand by this, I mean, I think that he what he had going for him at the time was he had an extra year in this system where Sanchez was new and Lynch was a rookie, obviously. And Simeon basically sat in the meeting room with Osweiler and especially Peyton Manning and absorbed things and realized how to run these, this offense from a mental perspective. And I thought that, you know, that's okay, that's going to keep his head above water for a while until Sanchez knocks him off. And nice little story for maybe up to week one or week two in the preseason. And trust me, I don't like Sanchez. I don't think he's a very good player at all. And now there's some talk he might not even make the Broncos. But anyways, I think it's pretty clear what they're looking at here is I think they have very high hopes for Lynch. I think they believe their franchise quarterback is in the building. I don't think anybody believes that he's ready yet, though. And I hope he doesn't get rushed in before he should. But clearly he has the most talent. Clearly he has the most upside. He's shown some things in the preseason to get you excited. So I think Lynch will certainly be the long-term answer here. Good. You know, good problem to have. So we're talking about a short-term arrangement for Simeon. To me, this is as much a, um, a black mark on Sanchez than anything. Is this Sanchez just makes the big, poor decision, turnover, fumble, butt fumble, whatever, always at the wrong time. You know, that when the lights are brightest, that's when you trust them least. And Super Bowl winning team, you know, the lights are going to be bright. You're going to play in big games. Your, your hopes are still high to go back to repeat, to win a very difficult division. That I think they look at the quarterback position and say, our offensive line is going to be better this year. Okay, I'm on board with that. Our running game is going to be better this year. Two-headed monster of Anderson and Booker. Anderson will be the lead guy, but should be quite good. Got two good receivers. Virgil Green's a tight end that's going to play well for us. Okay, you know, I'm on board with all those things. We have a great defense. I've heard a couple people close to the organization say the defense might even be better this year than last year. I'm not there every day, but I'm not buying that. Sorry, it was just so good last year that 
I can't believe it's going to be better without Malik Jackson and Trevathan and, you know, plugging in a couple rookies. And I just can't buy that. But if it's 90, 95% of what it was last year, they'll be in every game. It'll be a low scoring game. They won't get blown out by anybody. So it comes down to a real simple solution is, hey, Simeon, try not to kill us. And he's got some ability. He's got a pretty good arm. But he is highly risk-adverse, which, in the big picture, I don't want that for my quarterback. I'm sure they don't either. But if the opposite, in a way, he's the opposite of Sanchez in that way of, well, I don't think he's going to kill us. You know, he doesn't seem to rattle easy. He seems to be very calm. He's played a lot of snaps this preseason. But I think they, I think they look at it and say, he's who we trust most. You know, is he on third and eight? Is he going to drive the ball into Demarius's arms and double coverage? Heck no. You know, or is he going to scramble around and shrug off of a defensive lineman and make a play and, you know, light the whole stadium up and charge everybody up? Probably not. You know, is he going to throw for 300 yards a game? Absolutely not. I think he'll throw very seldomly and there'll be controlled passes. Uh, Kubiak will manufacture manufacture offense around him, a lot of play action, probably some rollouts. Um, he's going to be boring. He's going to be Alex Smith is going to look super exciting compared to Simeon, and I think that's all they're looking for out of him is don't hurt us. You know, if you can, if you turn the ball over every other game, maybe we can live with that. We can't live with one turnover a game, you know, half a turnover a game. Okay. Maybe because our defense is going to keep the, every team under 20 probably. And we should be able to run the ball and maybe score on defense and keep things close. Not real exciting. You know, I mean, I think Broncos fans shouldn't be like, woohoo, Trevor Simeon is our starter. We'll be fine. They love him. They found a diamond in the rough. He's the next Tom Brady. No, I think he's the ultimate, ultimate placeholder. Like, for example, going back to the beginning of the show, you're way more excited about Dak Prescott than you are Trevor Simeon. And I didn't say a lot of wonderful things about the Prescott situation. Um, but also like uh, the Dallas situation, you think that both organizations probably have their next quarterback in the building. I feel, you know, especially in the Lynch case. But Prescott will show us one way or another. So there you have it. Again, go check out the Locked On Network. Find your favorite team and, and go a little more in-depth about any of these subjects I talked about. Tomorrow should be four game breakdowns. And uh, I got plenty here, and I'll be watching more tonight. Just all this injury news. I couldn't avoid the Romo-Simeon situation. So there you have it, guys. Have a wonderful day. Talk tomorrow. Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17